On today's show, one of our podcasters is missing. Shadia is glowing. Mark gets to be my favorite Martian, and I'll grow horns and a tail. Mary Claire, where are you? This will all make sense in just a few minutes. This is Plot Points Podcast. Welcome to Plot Points Podcast. My name is Mark Sevy. I will introduce my co-hosts in a minute, but we are broadcasting today from Maya Cinema's Newport Beach. Uh, and our first guest was uh, Larry Porcelli, Lawrence Porcelli, Lorenzo, uh, who is uh, a high muckety-muck in Maya Cinemas, and he's allowing us to use the conference room at Maya Cinemas today. So, we wanted to thank him before we got started. Thank you, Larry, uh, for letting us come in, uh, for being such a great interview on our first uh, podcast. Uh, we'd also like to thank Frank Hafar, who is, uh, y- y- who is the, uh, just right above you, although he doesn't do as much work, I hear. So, no, I'm kidding. Frank works his butt off. But anyway, thank you for coming. Uh, and, um, I mean, how's Maya doing? Uh, what do you guys, you guys got some exciting stuff coming up? Oh, yes. Maya Cinemas has been uh, doing fantastic business. We're in great communities, and because the theaters have been doing so well, our business model of reaching into the community also and not being just a movie theater where people come buy tickets and go to the movies, but we work with communities, we give out scholarships, we bring in the people who are disabled, we have all kinds of special interest screenings, so um, it's more than a theater. Well, thanks for, for, for letting us use this wonderful conference room and your facilities, um, you you continue to be a great friend, and you are the one of the co-founders of the Orange County Screenwriters Association, which I also appreciate because uh, both Toby and I are, are board members of that. So uh, thank you so much for your. I don't know how you do it. I really don't. You you must be three people. Well, I'm three, but you mentioned Frank. He's eight, so uh, <laughs> I try true. to keep up with him yeah. because Frank's been that way forever, and his interest in the community is far greater and bigger, and he has a much bigger vision, so it's hard to keep up with it. And we thank you, Mark, because um, Mark does so much of our graphic work. Uh, A lot of our visual image on the web and uh, in other areas is from Mark. So uh, we thank you. I'm inspired every day, just hanging around. So thanks, Larry, for uh, stopping in and saying hello. Um, We have a really uh, special guest with us today, Shadia Sapernia who is a erstwhile student of mine. She's a, uh, also a director, a producer. She's a terrific writer. Um, she's sitting in because one of us is missing. And so um, I'll let Toby talk to that a little bit. And so obviously the other person with me, uh, who is you know, an integral part of all we're doing here, is Toby Walwork. He's a, uh, he's a professional editor, uh, great writer, and just a good friend. Um, so thanks for being here, both of you, and thanks, Shadia, for stepping in for... Well, yeah, if I can just take a moment. Uh, Mary Claire is not with us this week. Uh, she's out having an adventure. She's at a wedding. So uh, I'm sure she'll be listening in. So uh, 
we better not talk too much smack about her. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, obviously, uh, don't, Shadia, don't do too good a job. Because, Try not uh, to. Mary Claire will be definitely upset if she feels she's... Well, we'll just bounce her. I mean, come on, let's face it, it's Hollywood. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we, we got somebody younger, we got somebody faster, we got somebody cheaper. Uh, but, uh, and somebody we can manipulate better. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah, so you just do as you're told, everything will be fine. No, that's Thanks terrible. for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you here. Um, so we're going to talk about what we're watching this week. Um, for myself, I've been watching mo movies, less series. For, for I've been watching, I've been continuing to watch Star Trek Enterprise, and uh, it's gotten better. Um, as it's gone along, and I'm really kind of locked in. I, I hate to kind of see it end, but uh, I'm sure it will uh, at some point. I didn't realize it was so old. It's more than 10 years old. Yeah. I, I thought it was less than that. Anyway, but I did see The Space Between Us, um, which I recommend. Um, it reminded me a little bit of um, the, what was the one, uh, The Fault in Our Stars, a little bit, because it had the, this quest... Uh, for this young man who was born on Mars who wanted to see Earth. I, I thought it was a very effective movie. I enjoyed it. Um, of course, I'm a sucker for any space movies, so it's kind of like Stranger in a Strange Land, only not. The descriptions, are from what I read, and for you just to say, it's about somebody born on Mars and wants to go to Earth. I'm like, that just definitely feels like Stranger in a Strange yeah. Land. Anyway, what are you watching, uh, Shadia? Um, I actually started a series that I've read a lot about, uh, Glow, um, on Netflix, Genji Kohan. I love oh, wow. everything. What a yeah, I love everything she does. It's really, really... Um, she has a lot of great female characters, and this one's no exception. Um, it's a really good story. It's Glow stands for uh, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, and takes place in the 80s. Um, it's a comedy, but more like a dark comedy um, about a girl or an actress. She uh, comes to the big city. She wants to star in movies. And I really love the opening sequence a lot. Um, she auditions and they're like, oh, that was really good, but you know you just read for the man's role, right? <laughs> and then she says, oh, okay, can you read the actual role you came in for? And she says, like, oh, your wife is on line one. And I'm like, that's so true to oh, life. Yeah. So it's like a, it immediately grabs you from the beginning opening sequence. Um, it's really good. Uh, it's the thing I like about this show. It's really lighthearted. It's not a show you have to watch every episode. You can jump in and out. It's not oh, really? something you need to give undivided attention to. There's lots of different stories. Um, and it's really, it's a really good character study, which is what Genji Kohan does yeah, best. Yeah, she's, so. she's amazing. I loved Weeds. Yeah, me too. Uh, that was my first uh, so. Did you ever see Weeds? I did actually. I'm uh, I'm I'm also a fan of Genji Cohen, so um, I, I was gonna save chiming in about that till later. But I haven't gotten around to uh, Glow yet. But I'm a, a big fan of Mark Maron's podcast. Yeah, Mark Maron. And, and Mark Maron oh. basically uh, he plays the guy that came up. He's now, a director. Mark, Mark, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember when Glow was a real thing? Yeah, I do. I, the I Gorgeous know Ladies of Wrestling. Thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, I, I do remember when it was a real thing, and I'm not a I'm not a wrestling. Neither. Uh, yeah, neither yeah, am I. I. I like my theater a little more. I don't like theater. But um, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to checking out the show because um, it, it definitely seems that at the moment we kind of seem to be in a renaissance for period pieces. And smarter people than me can kind of scratch their head why, but like a, 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 a note perfect 80s recreation. I mean, I, I remember when the, when the show Life on Mars started. Um, they went back to the 70s, They went right? back to the 70s, and they actually said, the, the people that created the show in the UK, they said, um, everything now is too easy. 
Every problem is solved with a cell phone. I mean, these are real tra- these <laughs> challenges. You mean for writing? A writing was yeah, these are real absolutely. Challenges for That's a writer true. because it's like because yeah. like now when we go back and watch these shows and and like nostalgic television has never been more popular. Things like MeTV um, is is people love, like they like simpler stories. Anyway, but yeah, what am I watching? <laughs> I gotta see what I'm watching this. What week. What are you watching this week? Hopefully, it's not Top of the Lake. It is Ugh. not. No, I'm I, I did not Top of the Lake. Looking forward to the next season. Want to see how that all gets fun. I went and saw, for fun, I saw Baby Driver. Very, very fun film. And I saw it in the theater, obviously, because it's, it's a new film. I don't get to the theaters as much as I, I used to, and I really you, I really think that you should. This is a film that deserves to be seen as big you as would you have, see I would say you would have to, right? Um, I mean, yeah, given I mean, the scope of the... Yeah, and also, the, and also see where the place has got the best sound system you can find, because uh, it's a jukebox musical. Isn't some of the conceit that he has to listen to music yeah. in order to keep the humming out of his head that's, or something that's, like that? That's something that they, they touch on, but it's it's just that much. That doesn't become like a big plot element. It's a very 70s genre, fast cars. Yeah, he women, falls in love snappy, with the waitress. Yeah, snappy dialogue uh, and, and stuff. Kind of, yeah, I get that. And, like, and you know, certainly plot-wise, it, it, it rounds the bases. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a couple of little surprises, but for the most part, you're just, you're just, you're just checked in for that experience. It's a film that has a choreographer in it. Like in the opening credit sequence, they give credit to the choreographer. And so I honestly... Dance choreographer or... It or... Just, no, it doesn't say fight choreographer. It doesn't say car choreographer. It just says choreographer. I assume it's a dance choreographer. This film, there's, there's very... Like movement is very important. Story-wise, it's not challenging. It's great. It, it's, all, everything, it's everything you want to see. It's definitely wish fulfillment. But stylistically, it's, it's tight... As a writer, you do not choreograph a car chase or a gunfight yeah. normally. Well, you do some you, of it. You, you put some of that in. You say, like, this happens and this happens and this happens. But, you, you know, you're not necessarily calling the shots angle to angle. But uh, that's, that's something that Edgar Wright definitely brings to the table. That kind of collaboration elevates the work. And, and we should all aspire to be, you know, if you're, if you're a writer that's not a filmmaker, you want to find an Edgar Wright to interpret your right. words as passionately as you were when you wrote them. Yeah, good luck with that. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's only a couple Edgar Wrights out there. There's well, only a couple, anybody out there who interpret. Uh, Ridley Scott, I think, does, but um, they're few and far between. So uh, we're going to move on. Uh, this week I wanted to do a profile of a female writer. And um, as, as you'll hear, I had some issues and some problems with that. Toby, do you know who Frances Marion is? I Say no, yeah, because um, I already told you who she was. <laughs> I like it. I, I appreciate the fact that you're playing along. Um, I didn't, and there's really no reason you should either, I guess. Uh, but would you be surprised if I told you she's one of the most prolific women writers in Hollywood? Would it also surprise you to know that she was the first woman to ever win a screenwriting Oscar in 1930? Uh, it was actually adapted because they didn't give the original screenplays out till the 40s. So Frances Marion had an astounding 189 writing credits to her name. And today she's not really more than a footnote in Hollywood history at this point. And that's really a shame, I think. Um, but it might be because she wrote between 1912 and 1973 when she died. Um, and I recognized a few of her movies. I think Toby would, too. I don't know if Shadia would, but uh, The Champ uh, was one of hers. Not the remake but the original yeah. uh, and the Northwest Passage um, was one of hers too yeah I know but that was pretty much it um, but m- for me the real question is what happened because here's a female writer uh, who has 189 writing credits 
And today, there's no female writer that I could find that's even close to that. Uh, when, in my, I, I, the question I ask myself is, when did women writers become relegated to the back burner of Hollywood scriptwriting history with such a strong example as Frances Marion to start? My, I wonder when the patriarchy took over and decided that women writers should, women should not be writers. Um, but like people like Tina Fey, obviously, is listed as having 100 plus credits for TV shows like The Brilliant 30 Rock and Saturday Night Live. Um, but I think SNL lists all of their writers as contributors on every episode. So that's a little bit of a fake thing. But of course, the, the Kimmy Schmidt thing is out there. So she's still working very, very well, very hard. And yes, I will profile her at some point because I think she's brilliant. Um, the point is, is any female writer who has more than 10 or 15 feature credits, in including Miss Fay, is a real challenge to find. Um, I did a few days' research on this. I'm sure, and I, I really hope, that I'm missing some very talented writers in my search. But it was a real eye-opening experience for me to finally understand what women in Hollywood have been saying for years, that there's a true disparity between men and women, writers, directors, and producers. Now, you can see that at the director level, but I would think that at the writing level, it wouldn't be so bad. It, it is, unfortunately. Um, I personally know some very talented writers, both men and women. Uh, my friend Stacy Rukeyser is working a lot, has won awards like Emmys, and become a legitimate showrunner. Uh, she's capable of mounting her own productions at this point, and uh, we'll get Stacy for a future show, and she can speak to this herself. Um, but even she can't match the credit total of the more prolific men. Before, and and I, I want to differentiate here. Before I, we start to get angry tweets or or emails or calls about quality versus quantity, let me back this up a bit. I know about Nancy Myers, Carrie Fisher. Jane Campion, Dorothy Parker, and Melissa Rosenberg. They're all amazing writers, and Parker has a legit 45 writing credits to her name. So she's, she's up there. But, and while I'm not really saying that quantity is every, any measure of quality, quantity is a measure of opportunity and success in Hollywood. If you're gaining access and having successful productions, then you're getting hired to write more of them. So that equals, it doesn't matter about quant quality as if you're doing the quantity. I, I, you could, I mean, we could argue this, but in my mind, if you have 45 credits, you're doing something right. Um, the past three male writers I profiled on this podcast had hundreds of credits each. Except for the aforementioned Frances Marion, no one female writer is close to matching any of those three male writers, even if I combined a dozen of them. I, think, I just think that has to stop. Um, and there are very positive trends these days in the number of women who are writing, directing, and producing. Uh, as mentioned, Tina Fey is a shining example, Mindy Kaling, another talented writer, Lena Dunham, Shonda Rhimes, Genji Cohen, who we talked about a little bit, and others are kicking down doors and breaking glass ceilings everywhere, which is great. And it's probably no coincidence uh, that they're doing it primarily in television, where some of the best material exists these days. I don't, I don't know if you guys agree with me on that, but for me, television is, is where the best writers are at currently, yeah. Television... Yeah, is but when I think of female writer, I always think of Sofia Coppola. She stands out to me. She's a great writer. She has three credits. You know, she doesn't have she doesn't have access. Yeah. But Lost in Translation was a great a great little yeah, film. Yeah, that Oscar. I think I know women writers haven't won after her, but I think that well, really there has no, there has there, oh, there has, has been. I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, there has been. But you're right, Sofia Coppola's up there definitely. Um, Elaine May, I had started to work on with her. I was going to work with her and she of course was partner with Mike Nichols who was a famous director and they did, she did some really uh, groundbreaking work but she again very little credit. She's still alive. She's still uh, acting but she's not writing anymore. 
Uh, Francis Marion, who I, who I mentioned, Nora Ephron, Dorothy Parker, and others are trailblazers. I think they fought for a small place in Hollywood hierarchy, so uh, women like Shadia could uh, pave those trails with concrete and make sure that others behind them would have a better path. So uh, is it really getting better? Uh, for, unfortunately, not so much for features, even though television is a, is a, a brave new world these days. Uh, for all the talent, according to Vocative.com, quote, of the 160 screenwriters credited for 100 films nominated between 2005 and 2014, only 18 were women. Those women contributed 16 films, or 16% of the nominated screenplays. If women are 50% of the population, why are they only 16% of the nominated screenplays? And sadly, in fact, in 2015, there was only two women nominated for original screenplay and only two nominated for adapted. In 2016, none for original screenplays, and one woman, Alison Schroeder, for the adapted, adapted with Theodore Melfi for The Wonderful Hidden Figures. According to Bustle.com, in the Academy's 89-year history, only nine women have won an award for adapted screenplay, while in the 77-year history, history of giving out the best original screenplay prize, which was started in 1940, only eight have won. So that's uh, pretty much an easy... Let, let me read... The, so these are the women who have run, won Academy Awards either in adapted or, or original. It's a short list. Frances Marion, Muriel Box, Claudia West, Sonia Levine, Sarah Mason, Ruth Power, Jabala, uh, Nancy Dowd, Emma Thompson, Callie Curry, Pamela Wallace, Jane Campion, Fran Walsh, Sofia Coppola, Diana Asana, Philippa Boyens, and Diablo Cody. That's it. In the history of freaking Hollywood. An obvious reason for the paucity of female nominees is a simple fact. Nearly 90% of all the movies are written by men. Um, and that's mind-boggling. And so while none of this really may be that new, I mean, Shadi has been nodding and saying, yeah, okay, sure, well, you just came, you just got hip to this fact? Yes, I did. <laughs> I'm not really, but I'm, so, I'm shocked by it. Um, I, I just think it's, it's horrible. It's like people of color who can't seem to make progressively steady inroads into Hollywood. Like you have a great year with people of color, and then the next year it's all right. white men, right? That's true. Um, and they're just being excluded, which is terrible. So when will it change? Uh, my opinion is I don't know if it will ever change because I, I've been teaching for 20 years, and I see a 5 to 1 ratio of men to women um, in my screenwriting classes. So perhaps it's not a function of prejudice as much as numbers of writers. Um, it seems as if women don't want to write screenplays as much as men. Um, in my last intro class, it was all male. And is that too simple-minded? No. Um, no, you're right. Statistically, that's true. I notice a lot more men in our class. But I think uh, women also, they don't know that they can write. And, and that's I a, think that's the biggest thing. I think that's true, too. So they uh, just don't go into class. Well, the thing is, what I think about it is that women don't see uh, screenwriting as a career path. Right. And so they don't pursue it thinking... Right. They don't pursue it. They're probably writing at home. Right. I know Maybe. several women who are writing at home. They have screenplays. They've written short stories. But to actually think, hey, this is something I want to invest my future in, probably not. As an uncle of a niece, I've been much more, I, I have to say, I've been much more observant of the way we treat... I, I, I guess I guess I was... I, I thought we'd come a lot further because I wasn't paying attention. Me too. So now you start paying attention and you realize that, um, like you said, we're, we're not telling women, we're not telling little girls that they can do, like I do it all the time, but I'm Uncle Toby and I just, I just <laughs> all the time, 
But it's like, look, you, you can, and, and in a way, you have to. Now, one of the things, when, when you, you brought it up, Mark, is the inroads are being made by filmmakers that are screenwriters. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because, like, uh, Sofia Coppola, Lynn Shelton, for example, uh, she's very active in the indie scene. She's making stuff, um, which is how she's protecting the writing. That's right, um, yeah. So she's writing and directing. Yeah, and a yeah. lot of producing. a lot of these successful women that are working in television, uh, Jenji Cohen, uh, yeah. the Shondaverse, etc. She, collectively, the she's, are also executive producers because that way they're protecting the right. writing. Because if you're just passing it on to someone else, and I, I think, and maybe this is where I'm gonna, you know, sort of reveal the the horns and the tail. There's a certain amount of aggression that is required as a writer, to like, I want you to read this. You don't know who I am because well, I've never gotten anything That's industry-wide, though. You but, but when we do that, and it's a guy that's like, hey, man, you got to read this. You don't know me, but you got to read this. You, we, we don't frown on that behavior. I don't enjoy it myself. We don't frown on that behavior. But if a woman comes in and says, you don't know me, but you have to read this, we go, boy, that's a real mouthy woman. That's a real aggressive woman. But if it's a man, we don't we don't label it. We just go... It's a guy, and he came in with a script. But if a woman says, you've got to read this, we, we suddenly are set back on our heels. I yeah, think I, don't, I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, I, 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 I do agree with it in, in, the, um, in the big picture. But my point is, and I still think it's the most valid point about this disparity, is just there's not enough women writing. Yeah. And they're not writing because they don't see it as an op as a pr opportunity. I'll give you an example. Wonder Woman, strong female character, Strong female actress, strong female director, written by men. Yeah. Because if you don't have a role model, like it's fantastic. It's true. Would you consider like Sofia Coppola your role model? Yeah. She's someone that whose career you want to replicate because she is. But the thing is, I noticed with Sofia Coppola and a lot of the women direct or writers you've named, uh, they're not working as much. Like I look forward to Sofia Coppola movie once maybe five years. So then after that film is done, The Beguiled that just came out. When is she going to make her next film? She's yeah, not but I don't just turning over. Sofia Coppola doesn't have to beg to be. To, no, she, she doesn't. She's to, that's a choice I think she's making. Sir, I mean, if she wanted to make uh, like Baby Driver, I'm sure somebody would give her the opportunity. Well, she's chosen that. She was given the choice to make uh, the adaptation of uh, the live action Little Mermaid, which I was really excited to see. But of course, she had to drop it because of the whole studio system, and she doesn't get as much control. and And that's also another factor. If it and was a male, she's her father. She's her daughter. Yeah, but her if it was a, a male directing, would they have given her that chance and said, "I don't know"? It's a question that yeah, it's, it's is I shouldn't asking. dismiss it out I mean, of hand. It's, it's certainly a consideration, but it, it it's. It's still the fact that when we're talking about a female director, every conversation is about how she's a female. Yes, when we're talking I about agree. a filmmaker of color, everything is absolutely. Well, how, what do you bring the mm -hmm. the, the, the African American experience or, or the, the right. big sick, which is uh, indie that's out right now? It's made by a Pakistani uh, immigrant, uh, Kamal Najani, and his wife Emily, and it's basically the story of their lives. But it's so much about. Well, you're bringing the Pakistani experience to it, and you know, and your wife. Well, she's a woman. Because but that's how you get above. That's how you get above the noise. I mean, some of this is a matter of marketing too. I, I think that's, that's who the, yeah, who the shit gives. A, who cares yeah. about my life and my? You know, if I had a wife, my wife. I'm a white guy in Orange County. You know, where this guy oh, does bring guy. he <laughs> he brings a slant to it that is different and something unique that they can market. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, anyway, all right, well, I want to move on. In lieu of uh, one, our wonderful co-host, Mary Claire, we have Shadia, who's going to tell us what's, uh, what's happening in film history this week. Yeah, so in honor of Fourth of July coming up the next week, America's birthday, I wanted to highlight the 75th anniversary of Yankee Doodle Dandy, um, starring James Cagney, directed by Michael Curtiz. We all know him mostly from directing uh, Casablanca. Um, and in this movie, uh, James Cagney is playing a renowned musical composer, playwright, actor, dancer, singer, George M. Cohan. Um, and what I found interesting about this was uh, it was the first feature that was shot in black and white and then later converted into full color in 1985, which is really interesting because it sounds almost sacrilege now because now we do the opposite. We go from color to black and white. So... Um, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting, but uh, I wanted to highlight a few other films that are, um, you know, Fourth of July and uh, patriotic. So I started, of course, you have to go with Born on the Fourth of July, which is an Oliver Stone classic starring uh, Tom Cruise, one of his most uh, acclaimed dramatic roles. Um, yeah, and... Uh, also another movie, Forrest Gump, I couldn't skip on that. When I think of patriotism, that movie comes to me immediately. Um, it's a great film. You can't think of America without Tom Hanks, um, Jennifer Jason Lee. The story is timeless. It's a great love story. I love that film. And my personal favorite, favorite has to be The Sandlot. Whenever I think of fireworks, Fourth of July, I always go to the Sandlot. My favorite scene when the fireworks are going off, the kids are stealing a piece of cake, uh, Ray Charles music, America the Beautiful is playing in the background. To me, that's Americana wonderfulness. So. Yeah, well, happy birthday, America. Happy um, birthday. You're, uh, you're limping a little bit these days, but <laughs> still going strong well, in the hearts me, and minds. Let me, let me ask a, a question to both of you then. Uh, obviously, Yankee Doodle Dandy is very uh, America positive, flag positive. Uh, and a lot of these films do inspire patriotism and Americana, which I, I don't know if... The, I, I, can you separate those? Can you think of... I think Born on the Fourth of July is a great example because I think it's a very patriotic film. It was a hugely polarizing film when it came out because I I, I, I it personally was Oliver think, Stone. I, but I personally think that being a patriot can be to, to cast a light on your country and say it's not perfect. Absolutely. But, boy, those films are not popular. So do we like... <laughs> Is it is it a term I use? Is it is it wish fulfillment? Can you be honest and patriotic and still connect with an audience? I think you can, and I think Sandlot does that really well because they pick a moment in time where you're a kid, and it's just about a summer and a couple kids all getting together. And if you think about it, the movie's not overly philosophical. It's just a bunch of kids randomly meeting. Hey, let's play baseball. But throughout, they form lasting friendships, and you find out later, hey, they're still friends after 30 years. So, I think so. In, especially in they do it through baseball, I think that says a lot. Yeah, that's pretty Americana. Yeah. Okay, well, great, uh, great choices. Thank you. Uh, you did, uh, you did the seat proud. I'm <laughs> sure. Thank you. I'm sure Mary Claire is uh, shaking in her boots right now because yeah, we're, not, Toby no, and not. I are already voting her out and you in. So nah, that's not true. She's still vote. on the island. She's <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got some uh, we got some questions that came in uh, where we were asked not to identify uh, anybody, so we won't this week. Although Actually, before we start, let's yeah. just let's just mention again: if you want to uh, send us uh, your questions, uh, let us know because we want to be constructive and helpful. Yeah, and, the uh, point. Then remember us when you're really racking in that money. Yeah, that ain't happening. But um, the point is, is that I go through 
an intro class every eight to ten weeks, and I get these questions over and over again. That's right. There are no dumb questions, but some of these answers are going to. Yeah, you. no, you're gonna you're gonna wonder what I'm doing teaching anything after you hear this. So go ahead. Okay, so first question is, can I put music into my script? Yes, and um, you can put any music you want into your script as long as you don't expect it to ever show up in the movie, because it's it takes. I, today's a different world than it was when I started, but. It used to be that it was very difficult to get like a band, let's just pick a band, Led Zeppelin, to cons consent to using their music in any, in any theatrical release. But it's a different place and different time. Now those companies that own Led Zeppelin also own the studios that are making the films, and sometimes they're very motivated to get music. And of course, soundtracks are consistently made. But if you think, if you're, I tell my students this all the time, if, you, if, you're, if your film lives and dies on the uh, on the having to have a song in it you're going to be you're probably going to be disappointed you can print lyrics and your character can say lyrics but if your character even sings two notes of that song it's it's a royalty fee and so most productions don't blink at 25,000 50,000 whatever it costs but there are independent as as Shadia knows there's independent productions that can't afford that kind of uh, thing so so the, the short answer is yes, put it in the script if you're trying to get across. The, the problem with that is everybody wants to do mixtapes still. Everybody, you know, every writer wants to put in, oh, these are, this is how cool I am. Listen, listen to this song I put in my script. So it can become a crutch. And, but I, did I tell the story? I wrote a script um, after Columbine um, that was in response to Columbine. It was a sci-fi horror film. And I put in the character, the bad guy, quotes music all the time, and lyrics, like you, know, gotta keep them separated, right? So, uh, boy, I can't sell that script until I go back and redo, either take all that dialogue out, because it, now it's dated. So the, the danger there is if you do that, you're gonna date your phone, so. Well, and actually, if I can just- Yeah, go on. ahead, sure. I have two questions. One of them is, all right, so you just gave the official answer. Sure, you can do that. But when you're reading a script from a, an unsigned screenwriter, obviously that doesn't have a body of work behind them, and you get to that, what do you think immediately? I, I don't actually have a prejudice against it unless it's being used as a crutch. So, so you don't have an issue with it. I'm just curious from my standpoint, like obviously I don't want to use it as a crutch um, and, and I can't write something that lives and dies on the availability of that particular song. I did just hear an interview with uh, the people that do music clearances for films and they talked about how there's certain pockets of our history, like right now, songs from the 90s, especially hip-hop, are very, very hard to clear because of the issue with the sampling, just the issue of how that Oh, the sampling, made. yeah, that's so, got to be that, tough. And, yeah. and, and people are spending a huge amount of time. So the reason that they might not put the song you specify in the film, it, it's not that they're not impressed at your knowledge of, uh, you know, your, your, your musical taste, but there are so many other considerations that as an un- uh, proven screenwriter, you might not want to open that can of worms. Well, again, though, you can put whatever you want in a script. You don't pay royalties on on that printed material. But if they try to, if like, if so, let's say you write a, a scene that has to have this song in it, and you can't get that song, what are you going to do? Well, for whatever reason, whether it's clearance or whether it's the the film company doesn't think it's viable, the 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 problem becomes is if you use it. And then the other thing, let's say that I hate. Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Let's, let's say we hate Led Zeppelin. I don't. Say, I love Led Zeppelin. Mark, please say that you hate Led Zeppelin. I love Led Zeppelin. Let's say. Let's pretend in an, in an alternate universe. I hate Led Zeppelin. 
uh, I'm a producer and I'm reading your script and I am so tired of Led Zeppelin that I immediately put your script down and say, you know, F this, I don't want to read this script. You, if you like Led Zeppelin, how much could you, how, how good could you be? And believe me, it gets that petty sometimes. Yeah. When a producer's reading 10 scripts a weekend, you know, they're taking those home and reading those instead of hanging with their kids or, or going out golfing. They get kind of testy. That's and that, something to think about, too. You never yeah, think about absolutely. those well, And it opens another door. How many times will you go to Google while you're reading someone's script? Oh, What's no. the, before you before you go? I think we're done here. Oh, that's bad. If they're sign. making a pop, like you know, they they specify a song that you don't know, a pop culture reference yeah. you're not familiar yeah, with. Yeah, that's true. Something point. else. Well, to think anything about. anything yeah. that takes a reader out of the reading experience is a bad thing. I that's why I tell people don't direct a script, don't write you know extremely in, unusual slug lines. Don't put in uh, words that I can't parse uh, at a sixth grade level for as a producer. Uh, not saying that producers are sixth grade level. Yes, I am. Well, the good uh, ones. No, yes. <laughs> but uh, but the point is is that yes. Anything that takes you out of the experience. Anytime you can put down a script, you're losing. Absolutely. Anytime a producer. So. That's true. Okay, moving on. Okay, our next question is: If I wanted to, can I write a sequel to an already produced film? Sure. Don't try to sell it. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, that, I mean, you too. Can, you can write anything. We still have some parts of the First Amendment in place. But realistically, you have no ownership over, yeah. you know, like, you'll see, especially now, uh, and Mark, you've worked on a few I've sequels. worked on a lot of sequels. Uh, the people that created the characters will always get a credit. Mm. Right. And That's true. And you, as the screenwriter, may not, but... <laughs> Somebody has to get first position as a writer. It may not be you, but if you're the only writer on it, you will get first position but story by or characters by is a very popular credit. It's something that you see all the time. So my, my advice about sequels or adapting a book that you don't own the rights to is as, a, as an exercise, it's a great exercise. And there are those once in a, you know, those Cinderella stories where I wrote a sequel to a film and all of a sudden somebody saw it and they thought it was great and they bought the rights to the film to make my film. Uh, that'll happen once in a generation or once in two generations. Normally, but I think it's a good experience, a good exercise. I think writing a sequel is harder than writing any feature, yeah, because you already your your characters are already resolved, they're already arced, you've already got the resolution to that. Now you've got to come up with something completely different, but stays within the guidelines of still capture the audience's yeah. attention. Yeah. Well, what's interesting? It's not just sequels; it's prequels now too. I just saw a short film that was a prequel to Hook. And I thought that was really interesting um, because the actual uh, actor from Hook was in the prequel. Oh, uh, the Rufio film. Yeah, the Rufio one, which I thought was really interesting because the Hook takes place in the 80s, but the prequel is present day, so there's not just sequels anymore. You can go backwards in yeah. time, too, so that's pretty interesting. Well, Star Trek Enterprise is a prequel to the, the original series, which I thought, I've commented on before, I thought was a lot, I would like to write a prequel rather than a sequel, although I've been hired to write. I, in fact, there's an article floating around out there in Salon called The King of Roman Numerals, and that's me. I wrote it. So uh, now you, we know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, my name's on it. It's, uh, I, I didn't. Uh, I, unfortunately, I made a mistake of uh, naming names and saying bad things about people. And uh, So we should definitely read that. Yeah. <laughs> we should resurrect it and make those people even more pissed off. All right. Remind, remind them again about when Mark yeah, said Yeah, what an asshole well, I've been. Actually, because, I mean... You know, certainly the, the the business of Hollywood involves creating franchises. Yeah. Uh, so therefore, sequels are an inevitable. Uh, well, tra Transformers Five. Oh yeah. Fast and Furious oh, Eight. God. Well, now, uh, but actually, that's yeah. the thing I was gonna I was gonna bring up. And Transformers is for the first time ever probably a great example of this. 
are those really sequels? Because yeah. is there anything that's like, well, you remember the last movie, he couldn't do this, but now, I just think yes, that they, they are, of course. Are they, I mean, but do they really sit on the shoulders of the pre-existing ones? They don't, if they're done right, they don't. But they do certainly take the storylines, uh, like if Optimus Prime does something in the first one, that has to be recognized in the second one. You but can't, is it? Like, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm I've not only seen the first Transformers, so I can't say. <laughs> but my, when, let me tell you from my experience. When I've done uh, sequels that have uh, ongoing characters, I've had to deal with the previous movie. In fact, I wrote Relentless 2 and Relentless 4. So Relentless 1 was... I, what you keep in a sequel is the, the high concept. Uh, and then you also... But you also have to... If you're doing... A sequel, you have to kind of spitball off of what happened in the previous one, and that requires you to say, you remember when, or you, you flash back, or you, you insert with, uh, with, I think with Relentless 2, they just inserted footage from the first film, uh, as it was his thoughts or something like that. So, But Transformers is a little bit different because they swap actors a lot. Yeah, so. but, uh, but it's still, I think it's still, the Transformers franchise is not about the actor's it's about the yeah. it's about the the transformers. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I was uh, I listened to an interview recently where they were talking to writers about uh, there was a very popular uh, and and still is quite popular that new writers were writing uh, features or writing pilots, and they said that they thought it was much more uh, challenging and useful to readers to write a sequel or to write an, an episode of an existing show because it shows your understanding of the elements of that show, the high concept, the way that the characters interact. Because when you're creating something that is new, uh, you, you really get to dictate yeah. that stuff. And, and that changes with TV, like I said in a previous podcast. It used to be you didn't write an episode. You wrote an original. Then it became write the, write the episode instead of the original. Uh, it changes all the time. Uh, as a writing, I never tell no anybody. I never tell nobody. I never tell anybody not to write something because it can always be used as a writing sample. Another I have question. a question. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so this is a tendency I have. How do you not direct a scene through narrative? Because I find myself a lot of times wanting to put. She walks up behind him. He turns and he looks. And I always go back and edit. And that's the one thing I'm always always rewriting. So how? What's the essential? In the narrative that you have to have, you know that's a, that's hard to say in the abstract. But if you're, I call it micromanaging. Right. If you feel like you're saying he picks up the pen, mm -hmm. he writes on the paper, he puts the paper aside. I mean, I've I've even gotten to the point where I sit where I say the phone rings, and then the next yeah. is hello. Mm -hmm. So I don't even say he answers the phone. It's assumed. Okay. So the thing is, is if you can assume it, then don't write it. And you have a problem because you're a director. I do have a problem. Yeah, I have you, a big problem. No, but if you're writing material that you're directing, yeah. do whatever the hell you want. Oh, okay. I don't care. I All mean, right, you'll so. get shit in, about it in class. But <laughs> I it, will. But, but basically, you're directing it. So I've seen directors write, and yeah. they put in big, you know, copious notes, like, make sure we get a Red 5 camera for this. I, I don't know anything about cameras. Toby's disgusted at me at this point. Red 5 is uh, Luke Skywalker. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but I've seen those kinds of notes in directors' scripts. But uh, you can't do that in a... And you can't even do stuff like Dolly In or Close Up right. or, or Bird's Eye View. I do close-ups all or the time. Or perspective, you know, force perspective. You can't do any of that shit because it's not your job. Uh, unless you're the director. Unless you're the director. Can you do insert? Sure, yeah, because sorry. insert's legitimate. But let me ask you this. You're reading a script and it says, he looks at the letter. He, his face frowns as he reads it. What are you going to do with the shot? Are you going to show that? Are you going to insert that letter? 
You don't need to. No, but I mean, as a director, would you insert that? If it was important probably, for the audience to see? Probably not. No, if no, you no, can you, work off his reaction. What I'm saying, well, what the I, point... I think you say that like, you don't have to say that because oh. that's an obvious if it's visual clear. storytelling mm. device. Yeah, because I see that a lot in films where there's an insert of like a letter and I'm always like, is this... You really need this, you know. Well, it, that's those decisions are made by the director. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to make those decisions because any director worth his or her salt is going to put those in. As Toby said, normally you're going to have to do it. Toby directs too. It's a convention of the filming. Yeah. 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 So, so putting it in is just like saying, "Oh my God, I'm so aware. Put this insert here." You know, I just think it's sometimes you have to, but I I think it's few and far between. So. Okay. The less you direct, the more you... T look, Shadia, tell your story. Tell the story in the most compelling... You're a very good writer. Tell the most, your most compelling story in the easiest way to absorb, and you'll be fine. Scripts are already artificial. Right. You're, reading, you're reading stuff that is formatted bizarrely. Yeah. So why take anybody well, out? And also what Mark said earlier about, you know, you try not to give the reader an excuse to put this Absolutely. down, to keep going. Okay. And if that's snappy dialogue, just keep talking. Yeah, put his, yeah I, I, I'm right down the line on that. So, um, Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about what we're writing. Um, I've actually had a really good week uh, for myself. I I'm, I'm, uh, agreed to terms on a script doctoring assignment. Um, so it's a, it's a gangster film, which I'm happy. I haven't written a gangster film for quite a while, so I'm happy to do that. And uh, I also just went to, um, I shouldn't probably say the name of the organization, but for a reality show that I'm going to be writing. So uh, that we're not, we're not talking, we haven't talked terms yet, but we went to the organization uh, that's going to be part of the show. It's up in LA. It's really a, it's such a cool organization, but I don't want to talk about it yet. But um, well, anyway, how much so, writing is actually on? A that's a good show? question. I, and my fear is, what's going to happen is they're going to film a bunch of stuff, and then I'm going to have to write after the fact. Um, right. And so I'm not sure. I don't. I don't have any experience with the reality show. But they hired me, or they want to hire me to write the narrative for. They want a a story. They just don't want to film stuff and then have an editor put it together, which is... That's I, how they usually do it. Well, and I, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. But there has to be... Like, they're do, they want uh, fourth wall stuff where, you know, one of the characters comes out and says, oh, my God, can you believe... You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the confessional stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, like the uh, like uh, one of my favorite shows is... Uh, what's his name? Gordon Ramsay's Anything. That guy is just so cool. But his, his asides, his fourth wall stuff, are really, really insightful, and I think that's part of it. But... Excuse me. A lot of it is going to be the director. A lot of it's going to be the editor. A lot of it's going to be the material that they that they end up filming. The good news is it's not just one company every week. It's a different company. Um, so I get uh, if if this Tuesday, this last Tuesday was any example, it's going to be a wonderful experience to be part of this. So, so that was that was my. And then I'm still working on a Revolutionary War script, and I'm still looking to write a. Uh, I, I I'm going to maybe resurrect a couple of my limited location uh, scripts um, and update them and get them out there. Well, let me just jump in real quickly. Uh, why are you going to resurrect those limited location scripts? Because they're, they're, everybody wants one. Everybody. I mean, if you could write a story in a cabin with one character, oh, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, you know, there's some good ones out there. I think I, the, the top of the list for me is Hard Candy. Oh, yeah, that That's one. incredible uh, film, and uh, there's some really good ones out there. Um, the Purge. The purge. That's I haven't. I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, that's on the list. So. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, I kind of asked you as a bit of a uh, rope a dope question because 
the takeaway from that is, of course, that there's there's season, there's fashion with scripts and screenplays, just like there are with movies. If you've got those old jeans in the back of the closet, that's because you're going to be wearing them again. So so everything goes very high concept, uh, epic for a few years. That's great, but then then you know the economy will take a dump, and they'll say we want to make a limited location movie or found footage, which was which was such a huge like. It was like somebody came up with a way to cheat on their taxes. Yeah. And they said, well, make a found footage movie, everybody. And so suddenly everyone's like, yeah, I can do that. I got a phone. And then we all went, oh, they all look the same. And so now and they're all, they're all yeah. vertigo inducing. And we move past that. We come back. Yeah, that used to be a real big thing. But now you can get, uh, 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 you know, gimbals and stuff on your phone. So you can actually shoot something that doesn't make people Shoot notice. on your iPhone. Anyway, that's my week. What are you guys doing? What are you working on, yeah, Shadi? Uh, I have been rewriting a lot. Yes. Uh, I'm in pre-production for a script that I'm going to direct. So been suffering a few setbacks, but it's okay. We'll get there. Is this the one you were running through class? Yes, the one I, I, I put through class, and it was actually really helpful. Um, some of the critiques I got, I considered them, and I'm rewriting. And I'm the biggest thing is I'm trying to make it shorter. I'm trying to uh, not overdirect, so it's a little bit of a trip. But why are I'll you get doing? There. Why are you doing that, though? I mean, if you're directing it, go go for it. Well, I'll, I want to give room for the actors as well. Um, I realize when you That's get good. on yeah. set, you know, the actors are not going to be. I mean, of course, they read your action, but they're not going to be following it verbatim. So I want to give them breathing room to be able to. I'm going to ask them. You know, uh, what do you think about this character? What are her natural reactions? Because even though I am the writer, I'm not the actor. So they're the ones that are going to breathe in the little small details. And I want to give them room to be able to do mm, that. That's, a good, that's yeah. a good point. And especially as a director, you, right. you want to allow that because exactly. you get something that may be as good as you were hoping for. But if you're lucky, it could be better. And it's kind yeah. of like the Edgar Wright thing is like someone that takes like you're inter you're you're going to reinterpret what you already wrote. You're reinterpreting your own work. But then you're asking the writer, the actors, to do the same thing, yeah. and and that's that's what elevates the art form. Like writing is great; you're you're full exactly. of complete control. You can even pick the color of the ink and the paper. <laughs> no, but then you can't. at a certain point, it moves on to the next. So I, I'm that's just curious, true. what's your attitude towards your notes? You said you were considering some of that mm -hmm. feedback. Now you're you wrote something that you're going to direct, which is not common. It's not uncommon, but it's not right. common. So when you look at it with your director's eyes. And you look at the writer because you know the writer. Yeah. It's a little Which different. is funny because I also had to look at it through my producer's eyes because going through, there's a scene where I have a motorcycle I pass through. And I'm like, wait a second. Where am I, I going to get that? Yeah, where am I going to get that? <laughs> do I have time to do that? Is who's, Who am I going to get to do this? So I thought, okay, that's out. So as a writer, I had this one part which I care about, of course, because I put it in for a reason. But as a producer, director, I have to be like, no, time, budget, people, I can't, you know, spend too much time on that. So I had to learn to edit that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, the thing is, is this is this is the conundrum that writers face a lot is, can I put, should I put this in? Should I worry about budget? And if you're, if you're doing limited location or you're writing for, I, I think the question one of you guys asked me a while ago was, do I write for budget? Yeah. And I do, I can, and That's I do, because I've been doing it for 30 years, not 30 years, I've been doing it after 30 sales, but for 25 years. But the point is, is yes, there are those considerations, because I've worked with low-budget film companies, and they're the same as, you know, anybody else. Can we save money, can we save $200,000 here by not putting that, uh, that stunt right. in? Yeah. And also, I, I, I'm, as a producer, 
your job, your responsibility, just as the director's responsibility, is to look at that scene that the writer created that has a motorcycle ride through mm-hmm. it and evaluate, like, well, what was that happening? Why was that happening? Now, you, you, Mark talked about writing uh, a, f- a feature around the helicopter footage from Terminator, Terminator 2, 2 mm-hmm. because someone had access to that. And so it's like you have to be able to look at it in, in kind of an abstract and go, what might this mean? Is this helicopter footage, are they rushing an organ to the hospital for a heart transplant, or is it someone's getting away from a bank robbery? Well, this, you, this was to add exciting production values. Yeah. And, and, you, and you write around a thing. You're directing uh, and you're producing around something you wrote, but you're like, that motorcycle going through, why did I write that? Mm-hmm. What was I trying to say? Can I say that another way that doesn't, exactly. you know, can I do that with a sock puppet? All right, we're going to move on. Um, so the so I didn't, this is so much isn't warm and fuzzy as uh, in your face, and I apologize for it. Uh, no, I don't. Fuck it. I'd, I'd like to tell you guys about uh, how wonderful Hollywood is, but it really sucks. It's brutal, mind-numbing, kicking the balls, and po- up your poop chute horrible. It makes grown men cry, and grown women get surgery that mutilates them into looking like aliens. It lives on lies and hypes. It's vapor everything. It can make you a ton of money, and then when you think you've got it made, like Lucy holding the football for Charlie Brown... It pulls away and makes you fall on your ass, and you don't ever want to give up again, get up again. It is the single most horrible way I can think to try to make a living, except for being the White House press secretary. And I love it. Because like the song goes, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. I had no concept of what this business was like when I started. I didn't grow up out here. I'm from a small city back east. I was in music when I came to Cali. Another brutal way to earn a living, but at least it was something I understood, or thought I did. When my musical career died a painful death out here, and I couldn't afford to even eat, I got a job, then another one, started a company, watched it burn to the ground, literally, got a brief coke habit, cleaned up, went back to school and started writing, and believed the hype about how much script writers make versus novel writers. And yes, that hype is somewhat true. A first script can earn you anywhere from $10,000 to $300,000, whereas the average book goes for much less. And in most cases, uh, that's just a small advance against royalties, so it adds up to basically nothing. But the business has been good to me so far. I've enjoyed a fair amount of success. I've also been sucker punched in the throat more times than I can count. You can't understand what this business is like until you've participated in it, but perhaps you can take what I'm saying as a cautionary, as cautionary advice. If you knew how many times I've been called a genius, the next writing kahuna, an A-lister of the future, and so many really, really nice things, to have all those acclamations then disappear in a senior's appointment, gone and over quicker than a cute cat meme. I've had the film company executives and producers tell me riffs on the following. Mark, you've written our next big summer movie. Your life will completely change next week. You're on the yellow brick road, and that's probably meaning that the man behind the curtain isn't really the wizard I've sought. Your script is the best, name a genre, script I've ever read. I can't wait to make this. The check's in the mail, and I won't come in your mouth. Number five is a line from To Live and Die in L.A., two of the greatest lies ever told. The third one is that anything that comes out of the mouths of anyone in Hollywood, period, uh, is, is a lie. Um, by the way, William Friedkin and Gerald Pateevich uh, wrote uh, To Live and Die in L.A., and I highly recommend that film, even though it's very dated. It's a great little movie. The most damning thing, of course, is when they take your work, <clears throat> excuse me, tell you how great it is, and then without warning, have an office assistant rewrite it. That really makes you feel good. <coughs> Excuse me. I've studied my craft for going on two decades, but someone who took a script writing class in college and really, really likes movies is going to add scenes to my script. Great. 
I've struggled in some obscurity for decades. However, some obscurity also implies some fame. I've sold 30 scripts, had 19 of them made into feature films, including Devil's Knot, starring Reese Witherspoon and Colin Firth, and managed to always pay my rent based on the hustle I do each and every day. I write, and then I write more, and I write more again. There is no such thing as vacation because I have a career, not a job, and everything I do is geared toward that. As Madonna says, when you're doing what you love, there is no need for a vacation, or words to that effect. Of course, she's a lot richer than me. Given a choice, I'd, already, I'd rather always be financially secure. I don't have a pension plan. Only got medical insurance recently when Obamacare came into being, and yes, I am a big supporter of that. And my car is 15 years old, has 150,000 miles on it, and although it's a Volvo, and for that car we're only talking early middle age, I'm good. But when I look around at my friends who have these legit jobs, I don't see much of anything different. One friend in particular, a banker, has had five jobs in three in five different jobs in five different financial institutions in the last 10 years. He's not better, much better off than I am financially, and I promise you, he's a lot more miserable going to work every day. Right, Kevin? Script writing and being a professional script writing is the most challenging and difficult thing I've ever done. It's been some of the highest highs I've had in my creative and personal life, and it's also dropped me to the lowest depths of despair. But no matter how hard it is, there is something near to euphoria when someone signs a check for something you've written. The idea that they are actually paying cash dollars for something I made up, boy, ain't that grand and I wish it was more than a grand. And I swore that when I gave up on my musical career, I would make this work. 20 years later, I'm holding to that pledge. I try not to think about what would happen if I got seriously ill and had to stop writing for a period of time. It would probably be the end of my life as I know it. And I'm okay with that. I'm willing to continue to take that gamble because as I said, this isn't a job, it's a career. Risks and sacrifices are required. I'd rather no one ever go into screenwriting, mainly because I want all the jobs myself. But if you're going to commit the ultimate lunacy and hook your mental and financial well-being to an industry that doesn't give a shit about you and is sometimes actively trying to destroy you, go into it at least eyes wide open. This is not a place for the timid or those with low self-esteem. If you can be easily dissuaded, then you don't belong in Hollywood, period. If you need to be in a place where everything you do is fun and bubbly and slants to the positive, then go to work for a startup where everything is awesome, as long as the Kickstarter money lasts. However, if you can listen to the following Ray Bradray quote, yes, Toby, I have mentioned this a time or two before, that I keep in my wallet and say an affirmative yes, then you may also be a moron like me. Quoting Ray Bradbury, the master, if we listen to our intellect, we'd never have a love affair. We'd never have a friendship. We'd never go into business because we'd be cynical. Well, that's nonsense. You've got to jump off cliffs all the time and build your wings on the way down. So here's me flapping and flapping and flapping and flapping and flapping. Well, on that uh, mixed happy and suicidal note, I think that wraps up the show. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, I think we had a really great conversation today. I'm really happy about a lot of the things we talked about. Uh, Me too. Women and writers. I, I, I got to say, Shadia, you were you were a superstar. Thank you for having me, guys. It was fun being here. We miss we miss our Mary Claire, but uh, you were certainly a great substitute for filling her uh, big shoes. You, yeah, she's got. She does have giant. Feet. I know. <laughs> Mary Claire, I didn't say any of that, by the way. Uh, and Mary Claire will be back with us uh, next for our next uh, podcast. But uh, I'd like to wish uh, all of you here around the table a, a wonderful Fourth of July. Happy birthday to America! Um, and I don't say it, uh, 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 f- I don't say it enough. But Toby, you're just you're fantastic. You really are a great a great uh, person to sit across the table from. Oh, well, thank you. Mark. You're welcome. 
And uh, thank you for joining us. And I, I got to cry now, but uh, thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week. Please send us your questions, your comments as voicemail or email. Shadia, please tell us, how could they send us? Yes, you can reach us through phone, 919-SCRIPTS, or our, po- our website, which is plotpoints.com. You can leave a voicemail or email us, and our podcast is available on iTunes, so check it out. Thanks, guys. Take Thanks. care. Thanks.